following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the New Testament, which is the right-hand side of your Bible, in a book called 2 Thessalonians. It's super hard for me to say 2 Thessalonians because we were just in 1 Thessalonians. So uh, 2 Thessalonians it is right next to Colossians um, and these little letters. The Bible is broken down into genres. And so you have uh, the Old Testament law, for example, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the law of the Old Testament. Moves into the history of Israel as they um, either did what God wanted them to do or didn't do what God wanted them to do. Moves into wisdom literature and what it means to be wise in regards to the Lord. And then we move into major and minor prophets, which are easy to distinguish because major prophets are usually big books. Minor prophets are usually smaller books. That's the Old Testament in a nutshell. Then you move into the New Testament. You have the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the stories of anyone. Okay, if you're... Uh, pastor or Sunday school teacher asks you a question, you have a good opportunity to get it right if you say Jesus or Moses, okay? <clears throat> so uh, the Gospels are about, thank you that nobody said Moses. <laughs> the book of Acts is on its own, stands on its own. It's about how the Holy Spirit moved in and through the church uh, as the Spirit was given to um, individuals who trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then you get into these letters. So the New Testament is full of all these little letters on how people are to conduct themselves. In 2 Thessalonians, we have a letter by the Apostle Paul, and this is an encouragement to the believers who are facing persecution. Paul looks at these believers. He says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to love one another, and I want you to be resilient in regards to the gospel that you have received. And we would ask ourselves, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God. He's coming back again. All the saints say amen. That's our hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ because of the gospel that we have received. And so Paul says, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. Here's strength and hope that you can have from God-given words. The words that were given to Paul were given by the Holy Spirit, and he wrote as directed by God, and he says that life is going to be full of challenges, it's going to be full of trials and tribulations, you're going to feel weary, you're going to feel uncertain, but because of the gospel that you have received, you should be encouraged. The goal is always encouragement. Now, encouragement comes in various forms, right? Sometimes encouragement is a high five, and sometimes an encouragement is a slap on the bottom, <laughs> all right? So here, Paul is giving a high five to the Corinthians, which is where he's writing this letter. Uh, he gives them the opposite. And so uh, Paul says, I want you to remember your service, remember your struggle, and remember that where there is tension, there is growth. So don't run away from trials. Run to them. God's grace is there. His hope is there. And stand firm in the gospel as you wait for this blessed hope. 
Okay, so uh, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Big numbers are going to be the chapters. Smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And in verse 1, you're going to see a foundation or an introduction to 2 Thessalonians. It's going to sound really, really familiar to 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> but uh, here it says, verse 1, Paul, Silvanius, which is also Silas, and Timothy, three authors. You're going to see 20 times in 2 Thessalonians uh, the word we, two times in the book of Thessalonians, you'll see the word I. So uh, Paul, when he says we, that's what he's talking about. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, writing to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's break this down a little bit so that we can understand some biblical literature, but at the same time, see what Paul's trying to say. Thessalonians was primarily written, again, to encourage and instruct believers who are experiencing trials for the gospel that they have received. Church, let me just be really honest with you. If you love Jesus and if you proclaim Jesus, your life is going to have problems. Those are earthly problems, not eternal problems. Your life is going to have problems. People are going to push back against the gospel. They're constantly going to do that. Don't run from it. Keep going forward in it. So Paul encourages or he addresses uh, various themes like he did in 1 Thessalonians. He talks about the law. He talks about standing firm, prayer, idleness. As a matter of fact, he's going to talk a lot about idleness. So you might be a little uncomfortable in some of these messages coming up. But all of this is about holy living. What does it look like to live a holy life that honors the Lord? Well, 2 Thessalonians also gives us some insight on what was transpiring in the early church. Everybody wants to know what life looked like in the early church. We should go back to the early church. I don't think you would like that at all, okay? Just FYI. I think if you lived in the early church, you'd be like, people need to take a bath more often. <laughs> Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Let's break down verse 1. It's written by Paul. A lot of you know Paul. You understand, Paul, because you went to church your whole life. Some of us didn't, and that's okay. So let's unpack this. Paul is a Roman or Greek name. His other name is Saul, which is a Jewish name. Some people think that when Paul came to know Jesus, he dumped the word Saul and just stuck with Paul. That's not true. He probably used them interchangeably. He's from a town called Tarsus, Sicilian region, modern-day Turkey. A lot of people want to go to Israel. Israel's great. I would love to go to Turkey. I've been to Israel twice. Turkey's got all those seven churches in Revelation. A lot of cool stuff happened in Turkey. I don't know about the name, but it's there, all right? So if Paul has a Jewish name and he has a Roman Greek name, what's up with that? Well, Paul is from a Jewish family from the tribe of Benjamin. There's 12 tribes in the Old Testament. He comes from the tribe of Benjamin. And as he comes from that lineage, he was raised to be a strict Pharisee. He is supposed to be the valedictorian of all valedictorians. You think your mom and dad put pressure on you? Can you imagine that? You imagine your mom and dad looking at you and saying, hey, you're going to be the head of the class at age two. <laughs> well, Paul did it. As a matter of fact, he memorized, it's believed that he memorized the entire Old Testament. I know Jessica's not in here now, but maybe we should raise the bar for our children's ministry. So Paul gets to know all of the Old Testament. He understands it. He's educated under a famous teacher in Acts chapter 22. And he goes from persecuting the church to promoting the church. Why was he persecuting the church? 
Because Paul saw these people called Christians, they were rising up and they were going out all over the world and they were proclaiming this gospel and it looked so contradictory to everything he believed. And so all of a sudden, this risen Jesus meets Paul on the, or Saul on the road to Damascus and he says, why are you persecuting me? And that's a very similar story that we all have. We find ourselves chocked full of sin and God looks at us. He says, why are you running from me? And Saul can't give a good reason. And so Jesus says, I want you to go plant churches and share the gospel that you have received. He confesses with his mouth, believes in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He turns away from persecuting the church into promoting the church. He writes one third of the New Testament and that makes some people uncomfortable. Why? It shouldn't. Paul is the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He puts Jesus into every single place for the disciples in the Old Testament text. He takes all of that Old Testament text that looks so boring and tedious, and he just brings it alive to them. Can you imagine sitting with the disciples and Paul as he's unpacking the truths of the Old Testament law to them? Talking about, hey, this is where Jesus is at. Can you imagine him walking through Isaiah with them and Jeremiah telling them exactly where Jesus is at? Since chills down my spine just to think about it. That is why Paul is commissioned to share the gospel. So he goes on this church planning tirade. It's amazing to me. He does it very, very quickly, and he picks up some people with him. So Salvanius is going to be one of those people in Acts chapter 15, 16, and 17. He's a companion or a co-worker. He travels with Paul on several missionary journeys. He establishes churches. So you got to have a buddy in the Christian life. Amen? <laughs> Salvanius is a good buddy to have, all right? So they get persecuted together. Then they bring somebody young to keep them honest, and that's Timothy. Timothy's a great brother in the Lord, a young man Paul led to Christ, and he accompanies with him too as well. You can read more about Timothy in First and Second Timothy. All right, so you have Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, the top three most well-respected known missionaries by believers given authority by God. This is better than the Chicago Bulls back in the 90s. So here he goes. Paul writes about 50 years after Jesus' death, and he writes to the church in Thessalonica. This is important. 2 Thessalonians is addressed to the same people that 1 Thessalonians is addressed in. To the church, verse 1, of Thessalonians. Now, the word church is important. That word church is the word ekklesia. The word ekklesia in Greek, Old, uh, New Testament is going to be in the Greek, Old Testament is going to be in Hebrew. It's good for you to know uh, word meanings when you get into Greek and Hebrew text. The word ekklesia is not a biblical term. The word ekklesia is the assembly, and it can be any assembly. So, for example, back in uh, Acts, it says that there was an assembly of people that were gathering. So there's secular assemblies, and then there's sacred assemblies, and what we see here in the text is Paul saying the thing that separates you, that makes you different from any sort of secular assembly is the rest of that passage of scripture. That our God, the living God, who is our Father, has given us Jesus Christ and he has given us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We are different than any other gathering. So he doesn't say that church is necessarily a building. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, is never a building. This is just the house that God has entrusted to our care, where we gather together on multiple occasions throughout the week. As a matter of fact, one pastor says, he says, you should never call the church building the church. You should just call it the building. 
We have a board meeting tomorrow night. I'm going to pitch that to our elders and deacons and say, hey, let's remove the sign and just put the building up there. (laughs) That's not going to happen, by the way. And I'm not pitching that, so don't get nervous. But it's interesting if we said, hey, let's gather at the building as the church, the believers in Jesus Christ. Let's assemble to worship God together. So we realize that church and the primary purpose of church is for the believers to assemble. So if you're a non-believer that's here, this might not make a whole lot of sense to you. And you know what? That's life. Well, how does it make sense? You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you enter into the family of God. All right, Thessalonica, commercial city, located in Macedonia, present-day Greece. The church was one Paul founded. We talked about that. He was only there for about three or four weeks because people were so angry and upset with everything that was transpiring by Paul's hand. Can you imagine rolling into a town, you start building and planting this church, and all of a sudden people just start persecuting you? It says in Acts chapter 16 and 17 that Paul and Silas were actually removed from the city because of the gospel that they were preaching. Now, regardless of Paul and Silas and Timothy's absence, this is a healthy church. They're doing exactly what we're supposed to do according to Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Spirit, or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mix that one up a little bit. Imagine going uh, opposite there. That'd be weird. Um, but he's seeing a healthy church transpire. It's carrying on its mission. It also has structure to it. That's important as we unpack this text, too. The church has elders, deacons, leaders, ministries, all of those things. Things are happening and transpiring in an amazing way. People are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and it's awesome. Now, the intent, let's keep going here, is grace and peace. Now, this is really interesting. Paul's greeting of grace is the word charis in the Greek, reminds his audience of God's loving kindness in offering the gift of forgiveness via salvation through faith. Paul is saying, do not forget, no matter how big your church gets, no matter how many people you have gathering, no matter how many things that God has entrusted to your care, never forget the grace of God that has been given to you. Community gospel, never forget the salvation of God to us by Jesus Christ the Son. It's grace. Don't forget that grace. He puts Jesus at the forefront before he goes any further. Now, Bethany says this all the time. Peace is the word Irene, which reminds the church of what happens because of the grace that you have. So this is peace. I got peace like a river, right? You guys know that song? If you don't, you should find it. It's awesome. So he says peace is what Jesus gives to his followers or disciples who live out their faith. Even though you're persecuted, even though problems come, guess what? You can still have peace. Even though you're going through things, seasons, trials, tribulations, doesn't matter. Stormy waters, calm waters, peace. That's what God gives. So the church is reminded of salvation and peace. Now there's another side of this, which I think is really interesting. Grace is a Greek greeting. So it's almost as if Paul is greeting the believers who are Gentiles, and then he is greeting the believers who are Jewish at the same time because peace is a Jewish greeting. So he's essentially saying, hey, I love you Gentile believers, you pagans, you crazy pagans that came to know Jesus, love you guys. And then he turns over and he goes, hey, you Jews, holy cow, it happened, you came to know Jesus, that's good too. 
So on the surface, he's reminding people of salvation and peace, but at the same time, he's also head nodding to Gentiles and Jews who have come to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's classy. So Paul gives grace, God's undeserved favor, via Christ's work on the cross, and peace, he's saying, I want you to have felt grace, quiet confidence, joy in the unlimited possibilities and the inheritance in Christ. Community gospel, that is good. That God wants us to have unlimited possibilities in the inheritance of Christ. Our salvation that we have received is not a salvation we shelf and then pull it off the shelf when we die and go, Jesus, look at it, I accepted you when I was seven. That's not how this works. He'll look at you and he'll say, what did you do with the inheritance that was entrusted to your care now? Now. You get to access it now. I wish my parents would do this. Like, hey, Jordan, you have your inheritance now. That'd be great, right? That'd be fantastic. But I'm a sinner and I would blow it really, really fast. All right. Verse 3. Let's grow in that grace. Let's grow in that peace. How do we grow in the faith that we have received? Verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, our brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing. And it's not just growing, it's growing quickly, it's growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, again, there's that word we, look at that, had many reasons to always give thanks to God for these brothers. Now, if you would, circle the word brothers. That's a really interesting word. That's a, tier, a term of endearment. Paul's essentially calling them family. Is Paul really their family? No. But Paul, it is believed, he lost all of his true family, blood family, when he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. He lost all of them. People looked at him and they said, Paul, you've gone out of your mind trusting this Jesus guy. We don't, have, we don't want anything to do with you. Now, in our like neighborhood where we live, this happens a lot of times with people who are Amish that come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and leave the Amish church. They understand this big time. You are their family, right? And some of us who are not Amish or who are from different backgrounds, we trusted Jesus Christ and we lost a lot of family. There are people looked at us and said, hey, we don't want anything to do with you because of the gospel that you have received. And so Paul says, look around, this is your family, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So some of the brothers maybe were a little harder to love than others. But this is sibling believers. So every time you see the word brothers, that's a term of endearment Paul uses. He used it a ton in 1 Thessalonians, he's going to use it again. All right, two evidence of faith that were being manifested, and this is what happens, right? Number one, their faith was growing abundantly. Paul says you should strive to see your faith grow abundantly. You should strive to see you live out that inheritance. Now, if you look at the second part of verse 3, it says faith. You can circle that if you want. And by the way, I don't care what Grandma said. You can definitely write in your Bibles, all right? I used to write in the pew Bibles back when I was growing up. That was not okay. <laughs> Paul prays this, though, if you want to write in the margins of your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. This is an answer to his prayer. Paul's already prayed this for the Thessalonians, and now it's coming to fruition. His desire was for the Thessalonian believers to trust the Lord and grow in that trust abundantly. And here it's happening. Now, I love the New Living Translation of the Bible. 
I just think it reads really, really well. And in the New Living Translation of the Bible, the second part of verse 3 says, Paul thanked God their faith was flourishing. That word flourishing is an awesome word. It's only used in the New Testament in 2 Thessalonians. And it talks about a type of growth that is, uh, uh, that is made by healthy plants. You ever seen vines like they grow just like out of control? That's exactly what he's talking about. Or it's like babies that make massive steps in their first couple of years. Paul says, you are growing like this vine. He also says you're growing not just externally, but you're growing internally, kind of like an oak tree. You're establishing rings. Think about this, church. Every time that you have a persecution or problem for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're getting another ring. You should probably say that out loud when you uh, experience trials and tribulations, right? Hey, thanks for giving me another ring. People have no idea what you're talking about. And then you can say, let me tell you about the gospel and what I mean by that. There's a segue. An abundant faith, Paul says, is one that grows up. Now, I said that Paul's writing from Corinth, which is where we get 1st and 2nd Corinthians, other New Testament letters. 1st Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. This is exactly what is happening in the Thessalonian church. Church, we got to grow up. Now, here's what I hear all the time from people. I just don't do that because I'm introverted. I just don't, I'm not really a touchy-feely person, so I don't touch people. Uh, you know what? Um, I was et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. We're getting into a society and culture in our day and age where we justify why we don't do something based off of what somebody has told us the personality trait we have. You can't do that. That's not how God works. You don't go up to heaven and look at God and say, well, I was kind of shy. He's like, I don't care. Then go share the gospel with quiet, shy people. <laughs> Grow up. Put away those childish things. When he says that to the Corinthians, he's saying, put away excuses. Stop justifying your actions. So a believer's faith should keep growing throughout their entire lives. They should stop justifying why they're not doing what they're doing and start trusting in the Lord more and more for what he could be doing. So faith in Christ is not a static thing. It's either increasing or it's decreasing. A growing faith is like a muscle. It indicates a growing believer. You've got to use it or you'll lose it. Now, I didn't say you'll lose your faith in regards to losing your faith. Salvation. Don't hear me on that. We're sealed for the day of redemption. But you can lose your faith in regards to the fact of your confidence. That's important. So you have to do some things to get uncomfortable to get that confidence back. You tracking with me? All right. So <clears throat> he says, as your faith grows abundantly, here's what happens. Watch this. Those people, those hard-to-work-with believers, man, I'm going to increase in my love for those people. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul was concerned that the Thessalonians' loved increased. And here it's happening. And he's ecstatic about it. As the Thessalonian believers' relationships with the Lord grew, notice vertical relationship grows. Guess what happens? Horizontal relationships grow. You grow more in your relationship with the Lord, you grow more in your relationship with people, married people. Let's talk about the triangle, okay? We'll put you on the left and your spouse on the right. Let's put Jesus at the top of that triangle. You grow closer in your love for the Lord, you grow closer together. Some of you have marriage problems because you're not pursuing Jesus. You're pursuing your own personal gain. You start pursuing Jesus, you start loving your spouse in ways that you never thought you could love them before. 
Some of their things that frustrate you, now you find fulfilling. So Paul's saying, faith is the root and love is the fruit. So both faith and love were growing like these well-fertilized plants beyond what he could have ever imagined. What an exceptional church. Now, you can circle that word growing. That's an interesting word, too, in uh, the last part of verse 3. That's a strong verb picture, something that spreads out or disperses widely. Saw a video the other day of uh, this dam was, that was being built, and uh, it, was, it was just being built, and then they were going to release the water. It's so cool. So they pulled up the water, and all of a sudden it was like, and this guy was standing there. He got swept away by it, and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. But he could not stop it. No matter what, when you have a love for the Lord and your love for others increase, you can't stop it. You'll start loving people you didn't even think you could love before. So the Thessalonians' faith and love were growing. And we think of faith and love as either on or off, all or nothing. But Paul says we can grow in both of those things like a muscle. God loves us so much. He sent his one and only son to die in our place. And when we talk to people about Jesus, our love has to increase. We have to see them for who they really truly are, lost people in need of the Lord like we were. We have to willingly give up our own comfort and security so that somebody else might make a decision that we made as well. Take a step, grow in faith and love. Now, this is an amazing testament to the faith of the Thessalonian believers considering the persecution that they had. If you study the Thessalonian church, they had massive amount of problems. I mean, this was like every day people were constantly in their face about the gospel that they had received. Here's what I thought about as I was finishing reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. I thought if Paul were here today, would he thank God in his prayers for us like he did for believers back then? Or would he look at us and say, our love needs to increase? I think only you know the answer to that question. Now, Paul's not flattering the Thessalonians. He's not looking at them. He's, he's not uh, praising them in an inappropriate way. The praise that he gives to them, both in the first letter and here, is sincere. He's thankful that God is truly at work in the believers' lives. We have to have the same attitude. You've got to be excited when God does something good in somebody else's life. Too often times we get to the point where we just look at it and we say to ourselves, you know what, uh, what happened to you? I, I wish that happened to me. Nope, you got to be excited about what God has done for you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and you don't show it? What good is it if you have an encouraging word but you don't express it? What good is it if you have a gift but you don't use it? What good is the gospel if you don't put it into practice? Paul says this so clear in the text. We also see it in James. Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds and deed, and it is dead and useless. It's so important for us to see that. Now, don't hear me wrong. I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But we will know a true believer by their fruit. And if you're not manifesting fruit, you should be concerned. So I want to grow in my faith. I want to exercise that faith and, and love muscle. I want to see how that works. And then as problems come, look at verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves, that's, that's all of them again, boast about you. We boast about you in the churches of God. 
for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. What a huge intro to a letter. This is amazing. He says, therefore, since your faith and love is growing, all of us boast about what is happening in the church. Now, church, I would love for this to happen for us. As a matter of fact, it kind of is. Like, we have people within the Evangelical Free Church that are asking us, what is going on at Community Gospel? And I look at it and I go, only, only, only the Lord. Only by, by God's grace are things happening and transpiring. Good things are happening and transpiring because we're remaining solid and grounded on the gospel that we have received. And Paul says the word boasting there. You can circle that. That's the word to exalt. We do not boast about ourselves, for that's a sin. But when we boast about what is being done for the Lord or give God glory, that's a good thing. Pastor, you preached such a good message on Sunday. I'm so thankful for you. Praise the Lord. I just love you and your wife because you guys are a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. I love when you are at your job, you make it a priority to encourage people. Praise the Lord. Everything that flows out of your mouth should be praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for, for what he did. I praise the Lord that I didn't uh, cut somebody off in traffic the other day. Praise the Lord, right? Praise God for all things. I had a professor in college one time. He praised the Lord that he got a parking spot in the front row of Walmart one time. I think that's, you know, you might be moving a little bit too fast there, but whatever. <clears throat> praise the Lord. Okay. Two godly traits that demonstrate faith as we kind of bring this plane down a little bit. Number one, be steadfast in your uh, and faithful when you are persecuted. Because church, I'm not going to lie to you, it's going to happen. Whenever you are living actively for the gospel, the waters are just going to get really rough. I hate to say that, but it's true. That's just, that's the life. The word steadfast can also mean endure or endurance and perseverance. The Thessalonians didn't run away from uncom- uncomfortable situations or being persecuted for their faith. Like the other believers did, they didn't hide Instead, they viewed their condition as God's will. It was God's will. And what do we do when we live in God's will? We remain steadfast in that. They were determined to hold up under pressure. Here's what this looks like. They said, let's see what God does. Can you imagine if you had that same attitude, right? Your kids are rebelling. Maybe they don't know the Lord. And you look at it and you say, hey, let's keep preaching Jesus and see what God does. You have trials and tribulations at work. Let's keep being faithful to God and see what happens. Being faithful to the Lord meant that they constantly looked to him in all things. This is the same wording in regards to the passage of Scripture that says you pray without ceasing. You're constantly focused on what God could do in persecution. So we should have that same attitude. You said, uh, verse 4, you endure affliction. The Thessalonians endured many afflictions. That word affliction is the word distress from the enemies of the gospel. It came from all sides, Jews, Gentiles, family members, non-family members. It didn't matter. It came from all places. But if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, look what he says. He says, you know, you know that we were destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would come soon. And we're doing the same thing here today. It wasn't just one person. It wasn't just one group. It was all over the place. And as the world continues to conform to sin, we as believers will find this more and more 
as we endure for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just going to happen more and more. And so here, Paul says, despite all those things, you got to keep standing strong. All right, we don't have time to unpack all this, but Paul's no stranger to persecution. If you go back to Acts 17, you don't have to go there. I'll put it on the screen for you. In verse 5, he knew exactly what was happening because this is how he exited from Thessalonica. Some of the Jews were jealous. Church, when you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, some people will be jealous for what you have. They don't understand what you have unless you tell them what you have. Lifestyle evangelism doesn't work. You cannot just live your life like Jesus and expect people to come to know the Lord. They got to know what you claim. You got to open your mouth and you got you to communicate it. So Paul was like that. And here's what was happening. All these Jews were jealous and they looked at it and they said, hey, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. You know what that's called? Exaggeration. <laughs> So they're exaggerating over some things. It's going to happen to you at your workplace. It's going to happen to you in your home. It's going to happen all the time. By the way, if you're married, you never use absolutes. I know never is an absolute. But that's just grounds for a fight. You don't look at your spouse and say, you always. No, that's an exaggeration. 95% of the time, maybe. But 95% is not 100%. Just saying. I know some of us aren't math people. All right? But he says, hey, they've caused trouble all over the world. They exaggerate. They shouted. Now, they, didn't, they, weren't, they weren't quiet about it. Notice that? Like, they were loud about that. And here they are. They're in Thessalonica. They're disturbing our city, too. They are guilty of treason against Caesar. That's a huge exaggeration. Like, for real? And they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. I think Paul, when he heard that, guess what he said? Praise the Lord. So here, it is no wonder that these believers in Thessalonica are facing persecutions and hardships as they accept Paul's message that was given from God. And they worship because of it. They ran so countercultural to the everyday endeavors of the world that people didn't know what to do with them. At Oktoberfest, I think there were some people that didn't know what to do with us. And I loved it. Because we went into a world that is saturated with sin, and we gave them the greatest medicine that they could ever receive. And that's the gospel. So the Thessalonian believers are persecuted because they're growing faith. That's evangelism. They're increasing in their love for one another. That's edification. What are we about here at Community Gospel Church? Evangelism and edification. Not a whole lot has changed. Now, I understand that we're running low on time. I get it. We still have communion to go. But I want you to buckle up. Because, well, we want to say we're being persecuted, church, and facing problems. I don't think so. I don't think so. I got to the end of studying for this passage of Scripture, and I realized that there were tears on my computer keyboard. Because I think some of us, actually I think most of us, and I love you saying this, hear me, are so timid to share the gospel because we love the world more than we love people. How many times, because we look at this, we say, I'm being persecuted for my faith. I don't, I don't think you are. I, I, I don't. How many times have you endured affliction because you have preached the word of God? Like, I'm going to bring myself into this because I'm a member of Community Gospel Church. I get it. But I was looking at this passage of Scripture, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, uh, that list is short. 
And it could be because of protection. It could be because God has protected us. I'm not saying it's not. But when's the last time that your job was on the line? Your friends were on the line. Your, your livelihood was on the line because of the gospel that you have received. Like, I, I just don't know if that's true. When is the last time somebody made fun of you because you loved Jesus more than you loved what they were participating in? How many times... Has somebody made fun of you because you made church, the gathering, a priority instead of something else that you participated in? Like, how often does it happen? I just don't see it because I think we cave to it. I think we look at it and we say, yeah, you're right. This is more important. This is what I look forward to every single week. And you're like, yeah, you have to be here. I know. But I want to be here. I love being here. This is my family. We don't have family in the area. We came to you with fear and trembling and fell in love because of the gospel that we all have received. So just think about that. I mean, I'd love to give you three ways to be steadfast and faithful, endure affliction because of sharing your faith, but I don't think there are ones. I think you'd just do it. You just have to do it. Try it out. See what happens. I think if Paul were here today, and it wouldn't just be for community gospel, I think it would be for the church in general. He would say, you need to increase in striving to see the evidence of your faith and persevering in adversity. And I say that with as much love as I possibly can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's not fun to say. And it's not fun to feel. And I think about just yesterday as I was having conversations with people and internally I'm screaming out, you need the gospel. And then sometimes I just can't open my mouth. I don't know why. And so... I just ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for our forgiveness for the times when you have just opened a door and asked us to run in and we just shut it. This gospel that we have received is so good. I'm reminded of the passage of scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come see that his love endures forever. The psalmist can't just say it one time. He's got to say it multiple times. His love endures forever. Your love endures forever. And Lord, we are quiet with our faith. And I just ask for your forgiveness for that. And then I ask you that you awaken a giant within us. We all know people who are so far from you, who are just so fatigued with life, finding themselves as failures, and it's our opportunity and our obligation to share with them the gospel that we have received. There are people out in this world, Lord, who are bent on religion and have no idea what relationship with, is with Jesus, and they call themselves Christians. But we're supposed to be different. 
So, Lord, as we're about to take communion together, I pray that your words given to Paul, written to the church of Thessalonica, would bleed off the page and into our hearts. And that as we take the cup, a reminder of your blood that was shed on the cross for us, and as we take the bread, a reminder of your body that was broken for us, help us to see that our inheritance is not something we just shelf for eternity. But we have to take that message to the lost, to the world, so that the world may know. And God, they're going to hate us. They're going to push back against us. Help us not to be frustrated. Help us to be fruitful. Help us, Lord, to... Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.